What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly. All month long, The Ringer will be breaking down 2018's highs and lows in music, pop culture, sports, TV, and film. Some of the things we've hit so far are the best TV show episodes and the best rap albums of the year. And this week, we are writing about the best performances and the 10 best action movies of 2018. Plus, we'll be reacting to both the Golden Globes and Grammy nominations on the site. You can check all of these things out on TheRinger.com. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Winger Podcast Network. It is Friday, it is December 7th, and on the line, I am joined by Mr. Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? I'm great, Tate Frazier. How are you doing? Where are you, Tate Frazier? I'm in Los Angeles, but uh, I just got back from Dallas, went to the SMU-TCU game the other night, uh, Wednesday night. Uh, didn't work out well for my Mustang, got a good buddy on that staff, but uh, otherwise, good to be in Dallas and good to be in Texas, and now uh, I'm very happy to be back in Los Angeles. It was raining here, Lombardi, in Los Angeles when I got back, so... Weird times, to say the least. Weird times in Jacksonville as well. Uh, if you watched the Jaguars game last night, Doug Marone and the rest of that team struggling. But the Titans and Derrick Henry doing well. CJ2K brought up first guy uh, since 2009 when he did this to have a game with a 90-yard touchdown and a 50-yard touchdown, uh, both in the same game. Obviously, those guys, uh, Derrick Henry and Chris Johnson, uh, both on the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Lombardi, last night, just looking at that game, what was your uh, your first takeaway from Thursday Night Football? Well, I miss Blake. i got to be mm. honest. I miss Blake. I mean, look, anybody who thinks Cody Kessler is a starting NFL quarterback is kidding themselves. You, you know, the more I watched it, I'm thinking, how did Jacksonville go to practice and watch Blake and watch Cody compete and think, you know, we're okay. We're okay at quarterback. Everything's going to be fine. Like, how did they do that? Like Kessler is, you know, for lack of a better term, a journeyman. I mean, and you know, when you don't have a good backup, it's really bad. But I mean, I've never seen, we've had two 90 yard runs in the last two games that have been on national television. You don't see 90 yard runs ever. I mean, mm. in Cleveland in 94, when Nick Saban was the defense coordinator, the longest run we gave up that season was 24 yards. That's when you know you're a good defense, when you don't give up long runs. Your, t- your safety's closed. The, the third level, the defense can stop big plays. We've seen two 90-yard runs in the last two weeks. I mean, it's really by teams that are supposed to be good defensively, Jacksonville and Philadelphia. And yet they give up 90-yard runs. At least Henry had a 100-yard had a game. I mean, poor Adrian Peterson. He didn't even get to 100 after getting 90 yards. And you bring up the 99-yard touchdown. Obviously, that was the big highlight in this game. Uh, and it tied the longest run, run in uh, franchise history, obviously, and uh, also tied the longest run in NFL history. And after the game, they they spoke to Derrick Henry. Aaron Andrews did and you know talked to him about uh, Dorsett. He said Dorsett was a guy that he'd worked out with, a guy that uh, he really looked up to. But I think the interesting part to me, Lombardi, just watching that run uh, a couple times back, was it was reminiscent of Marshawn, Marshawn Lynch. A lot of people have made that uh, correlation between the two things. But I, I think the most impressive part was Dorsett was a fast guy you know he could outrun once he gets you know past the second level he's pretty much it's a foot race to the you know to the end zone at that point but Derrick Henry he's stiff army throwing guys out of the way and one of those guys at the end was Miles Jack who we both know is one of the best players I mean one of the best defensive players especially in the AFC and one of the best defensive players over the past couple seasons and he throws him down at the end and just keeps going uh, I mean, what do you have to say for Henry? Because he, he said that they were focused, and you could tell he was playing with a, a different level of juice on uh, this Thursday night game. I think in December, I think it's you know tackling is is bad early in the season, and then it gets a little better. And then I think as the season wears on, tackling becomes worse, especially with teams that don't work on it. I didn't think Miles Jack has played near to the level that he did last year. I mean, mm-hmm. he missed some tackles on some inside runs, and you know that whole Jacksonville defense to me 
it's going to be interesting offseason for Doug Marone and Tom Coughlin and the great David Caldwell to see what they decide to come up with in terms of how they evaluate this team. Because, you know, like I've said before, this is they've had one good year. They won 10 games and now they're going to have another top five, top six pick, which has been consistent over the last six years other than one season. It's going to be interesting to see how they fix this defense. Do they change? Did they change defense coordinators? They've already changed offense coordinators. That didn't work. I mean, they can't get the running game going. In fairness to them, their offensive line is so beat up. So, I mean, this offseason for Jacksonville is going to be a true telltale on what they evaluate their team. But let me say this. They don't have a quarterback in Kessler. They don't have a quarterback in Bortles. They don't have a quarterback. So it better start and end with that decision. Before we get into uh, the five games we have this week, I do want to ask you, I mean, we get in this game and there's a big gaffe at one point. Cameron Batson goes in, he muffs a punt, uh, you know, he, he jukes back into the end zone and gets tackled for a safety. And at that point in the game, it looked like that could be, a, a you know, a, something that could change a little bit of the momentum and, and swing things in the right way for Jacksonville. Instead, they have no answer for that. Kessler is not able to do anything. You look at that sideline, Marone and the rest of those guys look very frustrated. Even, you know, coming off, you know, D.D. Westbrook's running off the field and you go, they show the shots on the sideline and you could just see the frustration on all their faces. Is there a chance that, you know, Marone, I mean, maybe do they change everything? Do they completely flip this thing over to, despite making it to the AFC title game? Or do they, you know, sit on their hands this year and try to figure out what they need to do moving forward? I got a sense that they're not, they're going to probably change, you know, offensive coordinators. Obviously, defensive coordinators could certainly be in play here because remember, you know, Marone hired uh, Wash, the defensive coordinator there. So I think that you could see that change. I I I don't know if he's stuck with them or if he's going to stay with that scheme. I think that scheme's a little outdated. It's the only guy having real success. I mean, Atlanta's not having any success running the Pete Carroll scheme. Uh, Seattle's having somewhat. I think uh, certainly the charges are, but it's all predicated on the front. And clearly the front of Jacksonville isn't dominating like it did last year. Campbell, Jackson, those guys aren't having the same kind of season. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Tate Frazier, I think I think it's got to be a. I think they should take a week off before they make any decisions in Jacksonville and, and go forward because I, I just don't see them right now competing at a level until they get the quarterback addressed and everything else becomes badly evaluated. It's hard to uh, motivate yourself to play at a certain level when you know uh, on the other side of the football, Cody Kessler stands there and there, there's no real shot at your team putting points on the board. Um, I will say the Titans' playoff hopes remain intact after this game. They remain in seventh uh, in the AFC, though they have three six and six teams that are ahead of them. And they have the tiebreaker tie over them. Uh, a lot of those teams coming into the weekend, all with matchups that are favorable. Tennessee doesn't look at all like a, a playoff team to me. You know, I, I wrote about this for The Athletic today. Matt LaFleur, their offensive coordinator, is talked about. He's on everybody's hot coaching list. It's amazing. You know, these. I love, I wrote an article about this, about all the hot coaching list, how it all transpires and how you get on it and all that. I mean, like, does anybody watch the tape? You know, does anybody like you would never watch the Titans office and think, wow, that's really creative, man. I need more of that. I'm going to turn that baby on every week and get some ideas. It's kind of funny how it works. And, uh, you know, I just don't see them as a playoff team. I think they can beat bad teams. I don't think they can beat really good teams. I know they beat Dallas and Dallas, but you got to, you know, for them, you got to ask yourself the question, how good is Mariota, you know? Somebody sent me a text last night said, would you rather have Mariota or Dak Prescott? I would rather have Prescott. You know, and I've been I've been all year on the uh, Jameis Winston kill bam wagon. And frankly, Winston, the last couple of weeks has played much better than Mariota. Now, the, the off the field stuff, you know, in, Mar- in, Winston, in Winston's career certainly c- concerns you. But I just worry about how good Mariota can be when it's time to really when 
when when he's there, he doesn't really make anybody else better. And the good news, if you are uh, the Tennessee Titans, is 90-yard touchdown runs, uh, they do make you look better than, uh, than than you may look otherwise. I have a nice little stat for you. This is from uh, Scott Kazmer of uh, Football Outsiders. 90-yard, 90-plus-yard touchdown runs by decade, Lombardi. 1930s, we get one. 1940s, two. 1950s, three. 1960s, one. 1970s, one. 1980s, four. 1990s, three. 2007. In the 2010s, we already have 12, and this was the fourth one since week 10. So... Times are changing. It's amazing. It's just it's a documentation of how bad how bad the tackling is in the NFL, and you know, and and how bad teams really just play plays and they don't play a scheme of defense. It's really it's really that. It's it's indicative of that, and it's a, it's really to me, you know, defensively, you just want to keep make the offense beat you. Don't give one play. I mean, ninety nine yard run with a back who's not like I get it if it's Earl Campbell or I get it if it's you know Bo Jackson. You know those guys are shot out of a cannon. I mean, you're talking about Derrick Henry, who's not a you know he's an erect upright runner, effective, hard to tackle, no doubt. Breakaway speed, he builds it. But man, you know it's funny how it happens. They're not following the words of Napoleon. The best defense is to attack. Not a lot of defenses attacking the offense these days. Uh, we've seen it uh, sparsely throughout the season, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. And then when you hear someone like Sean McVay break down the entire uh, Chicago Bears defensive scheme, that, that has to worry you a little bit, too, when all these offensive gurus know what you're going to do. Yeah, I mean, look, they do. I mean, look, I, I, you know the funny thing about the Rams that I think is people don't realize when you break them down and look at their last few weeks or their road games, what what, what McVay's really been able to do is, you know, they go into Oakland, they only throw the ball for 225. They go to Detroit last week, they throw for 195. They played San Francisco in San Francisco, they throw for 193. They go to Denver, throw for 174. They won all four games. You know, they won all four games when they didn't have a great, people get mesmerized by the Rams passing attack, which is certainly great. But the reality of the Rams are is they win because they pound that rock and it sets everything else up that they do. This week's going to be an interesting week because Goff has played four games in his NFL career, Tate Frazier, in weather under 40 degrees. He's 63 for 123. He averages 6.49 yards per attempt. He's thrown five touchdowns and three interceptions. And he's and he's had two fumbles. So it's going to be interesting to see what he can do and what the Rams defense can do, because really that's the that's going to be the key to this game. Can they force turnovers? They've forced nine in the last four weeks. They've had 11 sacks, you know, and they've played over 31 minutes of defense. So, you know, this to me, this game here, and I'm not picking this game one way or the other because I think it's too hard to really figure out. It's going to come down to how well the Rams' defense plays against the Bears' offense. I think that's going to be the essence of the game. And it's also going to be fun. We we know what McVay does. He makes his money with the eleven personnel out there on the field, and they do uh, they run a lot of plays where you know someone will slip through, and the defense will be looking and thinking, you know, looking at tight end, and then they'll just hand the ball off casually to Todd Gurley, who will run the other way uh, on a counter and score a touchdown. Because as McVay does, you know, he likes to 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 move the eyes around, and Jared Goff and the rest of that offense knows where the ball is going to go. They know what they're trying. Trying to do every single play because they've mapped out, uh, you know, where they want to attack depending on what they call. So it's always fun to watch that. So keep your eye on the eleven personnel with the Los Angeles Rams. Eighty-five to ninety percent of the time, I'm pretty sure they they have that personnel package on the field and they run a lot of different plays out of it. Let's get to the uh, five games that you have this week. The first game that we have on the docket, Lombardi, the Carolina Panthers. Cam Newton came out and he said uh, he hopes Santa Claus is listening because he wants a win for Christmas. Maybe he'll come early this year. The Panthers six and six traveling up to the Browns four seven. And one uh, over under in this game, 47. Cleveland uh, getting one and a half points in this game at home. 
Uh, Lombardi, looking at this game, you you expect the Panthers to bounce back, or uh, is it time for Cleveland to show something and get a nice win at home? I think actually Cleveland's going to bounce back. I mean, look, when you break down this tight Panthers defense, and they made the changes this week on their defensive staff, but you know they've only forced three turnovers and one interception on the road. I mean, so they can't make plays on the ball. You know, they, they've given up over 14 touchdown passes. In three of their six games, they've allowed 80% completions. And, you know, they, they typically allow teams to throw the ball. But even when they hold on to the yards per attempt and keep that low, I mean, Detroit only averaged 5.95. Washington was held to 4.53. And they lost both those games. So, you know, the only team they've held to under 20 points on the road were the Eagles, and they won that game because of the fourth quarter. So I think Baker Mayfield and this offense will be able to attack this Panther defense effectively. And I think Cam Newton... You know, for everybody talking about how hurt Cam is, it's fascinating. His 7.5 yards per attempt is the highest since 2015. His quarterback rating today at 99.9 is the highest in his career. His percentage completion is the best of his career. But eleven of his eight of his 11 interceptions have come on the road. And they've only made play, 11 plays of over 25 yards on the road passing. So... You know, the other factor is they can't convert third downs on the road. They're 25 for 91 on the road on third downs. So I just think to me, this is a game that sets up perfectly for the Browns. I think they can run the ball. They'll move the ball effectively. And I think they can create some problems for the the Panthers. And you mentioned Cam Newton. A lot of stuff has been going around this week. People talking about his shoulder. He's already been compared to Andrew Luck and his situation. People have called. I saw on PTI yesterday, they were saying maybe they should just let Cam sit out the rest of the season if they aren't able to win this game with the Browns. You know what I mean? Or maybe they they assume that they maybe could win this game without Cam Newton. Cam Newton has been the entire Carolina Panthers team this year. The defense has been the problem. And you mentioned those games on the road. I mean, we know what it's been. I mean, they get behind early and then they have to rely on Cam to try to save them. And, and uh, Superman can't always save the day uh, and he needs a little bit of help on the back end especially on the defensive side of the, fo- of the football uh, but we'll keep our eye on that game moving forward next game we have coming up we got the Green Bay Packers taking on the Atlanta Falcons obviously we know about the situation in Green Bay Mike McCarthy let go Joe Philbin takes over Joe Philbin says I haven't slept very much um, he said you come back here and you want to be a part of the solution so he's trying to uh, it's a nice little job interview for him here uh, Falcons yeah. tra- traveling up to the Packers obviously in this game uh, Packers are favored by five over under at 51 what do you see in this one Lombardi well I don't like Matt Ryan on the road I think when you really break Matt Ryan down this year you see that he's not very good and he's even worse when the temperature gets below 40 degrees Uh, usually his road yard per attempt average in his career has been very close but not this year this year he averages 9.1 yards per attempt at home, he only averages 7.31 on the road, and that drops all the way down to under seven when he plays in less than 40 degrees weather. I think this is a real FU to uh, to most of the people. I don't think they're going to attack Mike McCarthy, but I think there's a sense in that Green Bay locker room that they want to prove they're better than they really are. And I think the fact that Mark Murphy, the president of the team, came out and said Philbin has as good a chance to become the head coach as anybody uh, forces him, allows him to have some kind of control in that locker room and get the players to play well. It'll be fascinating to see what they do offensively, how the play calling has shifted. But to me, I think this Falcon team is done defensively. I don't think they have any answers. I think it'll be a cold day. I don't think Matt Ryan's throwing the ball very well right now. I think Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers have a lot to prove in this game, and I think they'll prove to be the better team. I think they'll win in cover. 
And Atlanta obviously had that three-game winning streak. Uh, things seem to be turning a little bit for them. But now, uh, last four games, uh, Dan Quinn said that they apparently have hit a wall. They failed to reach 20 points in any of the four consecutive losses that they have had. So that is something to keep an eye on, too. And they rank last in the NFL in rushing yards. Um, and we know it's cold up in Green Bay and you need to run the football. And obviously, they don't have De- De- uh, Devontae Freeman after he went down with an injury. But, uh, you know, not having a running game in that cold weather and Aaron Rodgers trying to prove a point. Uh, does not seem to bode well for the Atlanta Falcons. Next game we have, we have the Detroit Lions traveling to the Arizona Cardinals. Um, in this game, uh, Arizona is, uh, or I'm sorry, the Lions are favored by three in this game, over-under set at 40 and a half. I mean, both these teams have struggled throughout the season. Car- Cardinals showed a little bit of life getting that win over the Packers, obviously, and the Lions uh, also sh- you know, showed some life the last couple of weeks, especially against the Rams last week before uh, the Rams were able to get uh, a nice little lead there late. But uh, looking at this game, Lombardi, what do you expect to see with the Lions on the road? I think the Lions, you know, I know they're one and five in the last six games, but they've played well. I mean, they've played, they haven't played great. Uh, they haven't played well enough to win, but they've played well. I mean, they held the Rams to 195 passing. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. I know they played home. And, but I think really more than anything, their offense has let them down more than their defense. Uh, They've only averaged six point five yards per attempt, and uh, in the last six games, I mean, they really haven't been able to make many plays in their passing games. I know Galladay may be hurt. I know they've got some injuries, but to me, against this Cardinal defense, they need to be able to make some plays. And then the biggest factor in this game, why I like the Lions, is the Cardinals' offensive line is just a mess. I mean, both their starting right off offensive tackles are gone. They're going to start a left tackle, Cunningham, who was a seventh round pick in two thousand and eighteen. The right tackle is going to be Goldich. He was a practice squad guy from the Colts. I mean, the center, and they have the center's a third-round pick this year in the draft, and then the, the left guard. I mean, they're just beat up in the offensive line. I know they claimed Joey Barksdale from the Chargers. I would not I would expect him to play as well, but they can't make any plays in the passing game. They only have 21 plays over 20 yards in the last eight games. That's not very good, Tate Frazier. So I, I think the Lions will play good defense, and I think this is a kind of game Matthew Stafford should play well. I think the Lions are playing better than the, than the Cardinals right now, and I think the Lions will win. Unfortunately, in this game, you mentioned guys that are out. Uh, the two rookies that are both fun on these teams, uh, on Johnson, the rookie running back for uh, Detroit, their leading rusher with 641 yards, missed the past two games, got a knee injury that's kind of uh, hurting him. And then Christian Kirk, uh, second-round pick with the Cardinals. He's been great leading the team in receiving yards, uh, broke his foot last week, and now has been placed on the IR. And Josh Rosen said, big bummer not having him out there, and uh, we'll really miss him. And that Cardinals offense will especially miss uh, Kirk on the outside for him. Next game we have, we have a... Uh, a matchup in the NFC that has, you know, very involved playoff implications. We've got the Minnesota Vikings traveling to Seattle to take on the 12th man. Uh, you know, the, the Vikings obviously uh, were expected to be one of the front runners when they signed Kirk Cousins. Things have been back and forth this season for them. Seattle's been on a nice little tear here lately. Uh, Seattle favored by three at home over under set at 45 and a half. Lombardi, what do you see here? You know, it's tough. It's back-to-back road games for the Vikings. I mean, look, I'm not in love with what the Vikings do on offense. I I think that Kirk Cousins, I think their offensive line really struggles. Uh, They don't play well on the road, typically. I know they went into Philadelphia and won that game. But I just don't see them being able to control the game in a hostile environment with a lot of crowd noise, and especially the way the Seahawks are playing the way Russell Wilson's playing right now. I just have no confidence that they'll give the ball to Dalvin Cook and force Seattle to play some run defense. I think Seattle's weakness is they haven't really played the run as well, and I think you can force them to have to play run defense, and I'm just not sure that they'll do it. And I I think that Minnesota is a little bit in a close game. I worry about their kicking. I mean, I've been a Dan Bailey fan. I encouraged them to sign him, but he has not looked good. 
I think that they haven't played very well in that area in, in the kicking game, and I think it's a problem. And so when you're playing in a hostile environment with a bad kicker and you've got to score points, I mean, look, they've scored – the Seahawks have scored 27 against the Packers. They scored 30 in Carolina, and they scored 43 at home. And this is their second road win. I mean, look, they're playing really good right now, and they can run the football – and because of that, I think they'll win the game. I think I think they'll be effective running the ball. And they haven't really – they've only had nine turnovers, Tate Frazier, all season in Seattle. And three of them happened in the first week, and two of them happened in the second week. So since week two of the season, they've only had four turnovers. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any, uh, any concern – I've heard some people asking Pete Carroll about this this week uh, leading up to this Monday night football game – about the secondary. Obviously, you know, one of the best in the league early in the season, or at least the first half of the season. Now the secondary is – the past couple of weeks, I mean, it's been a kind of bend-but-don't-break attitude with that defense, and they've given up some yards. But they've been – you know, against Cam Newton, he obviously played so well uh, early on in that game, completing like 14 – 14 straight passes, I believe, at one point. Uh, but they've been able to find a way to win the game. But w- with this passing attack, is there a chance that Minnesota can outscore them uh, if that secondary doesn't hold up? I think they could. I think you have to look at this. You know, look at the game. I mean, Minnesota has. You know, when they play, they're two, three, and one on the road, and they've turned the ball over eight times. In the last two road games, they've turned the ball over five times, mm-hmm. and they've only held the ball. This is fat. They've only held the ball 25, 26 minutes in both those games offensively because their defense has struggled to get control of the opponents. I mean, their defense the last two road games have given up 148 rushing and 160 rushing, and so I mean, the Bears only threw for 160 against them. So that's that's why they're playing so much defense, and I think that's why it favors Seattle for me in this game. I, I'm just not in love with what they do offensively in Minnesota, the identity of their team. I mean, look, they've been on the road for for six games this year, Tate Frazier, and they've yet to rush for 100 yards. They've yet to rush for 100 yards. Think mm. about that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and the most rushing attempts they've had in any road game were in Philadelphia. They rushed 23 times. At New York Jets, they rushed 24 times. And you know what happened to both those games, Dave Frazier? They won. Now, mm-hmm. you know me. I'm not in love with running the football. I'm not. But I'm in love with pacing the game. And I think you've got to add some runs, and you can't get one-dimensional. I mean, the last two weeks, they've been in close games, and they've run the ball 14 and 13 times. It does seem like a lot of people are, are doing what you brought up with, you know, the Panthers and Cam Newton and, you know, Minnesota fans are pointing at Kirk Cousins. But when you look at the numbers, I mean, Kirk Cousins, he's thrown 23 touchdown passes and he's completed a career best 71.3% of his throws uh, with Minnesota this year in his first year. So, uh, and then obviously Thielen and Diggs, we've seen the 15 touchdowns between those two guys. That's the best in the league. So, I mean, the passing game has not been the problem. Uh, it's been the ability to, to, to find a way to get a run game and to be able to to find a way to win some of these games because they've been close. They've been in all these games and they've been in close games. And we all remember that Packers game that, that they tied that may end up costing them late in the year. But uh, for whatever reason, the Vikings haven't been able to put it together under Zimmer this year. Uh, the final game we have this week, this is the uh, this has been the trash talk showdown on all the TV shows this week. We have the Philadelphia Eagles traveling to the Dallas Cowboys to, to see who can, can take over the NFC East. The Eagles one game back of the Cowboys. Um, some of the comments that came out was, you know, it's D December and we know what Dallas does in December you know they they've only had two seasons 2009 2013 in the past 10 years where they've done where they have a winning record in December um, looking at this game Lombardi the Eagles obviously have a lot of confidence coming off that win last week the Cowboys have a lot of confidence with what they've been able to put together over the past few weeks um, do, do you see Philadelphia being able to tra- travel down to Dallas and get a win or do you see Dallas keeping this thing going for the clapper to me this weekend in the NFL 
I call this t-shirt and hat weekend in the NFL, right? Because a lot of these games have implications like the Patriots-Miami games, a t-shirt and hat game. If Miami, if the Patriots win, they get t-shirts and hats and say they win the AFC East, right? So mm-hmm. that's a t-shirt and hat game. You know, you got, uh, let me see, what other team here is a t-shirt and hat game? Uh Oh, New Orleans beats Tampa. That's a t-shirt and hat game. Minnesota, uh, Houston can't get a t-shirt and hat because Tennessee won, so they, they won't get one there. But this game here, Tate Frazier, this game here is not a t-shirt and hat game. This game is I get a contract extension. Yet all you people that call me the clapper, you got to keep clapping because my ass is getting a contract extension if I win this game. That's what this game's all about. And, and I think that's that, that backdrop makes it fascinating. And I think if the Eagles, I mean, sometimes the Eagles just piss me off. Like, who da, I mean, we drafted Kruger Hill. He's a fast kid, plays linebacker, but he has no business talking. He ain't been in the NFL long enough to see. So, I mean, look at Dallas history. They always choke. How the <laughs> hell would he know what Dallas's history is? Seriously? Watch it on TV, like, Lombardi, up. like me. I watch it on TV. Like, just shut the fuck up. Really, seriously. <laughs> just shut up. Okay? Like, that's enough. Like, just play good. Worry about what you're doing. Don't worry about Dallas history because they got trophies. You don't even know what a trophy looks like, you know? You know, I mean, come on. Give me a break. So, anyway, my point here on this game is, look, this game, the first time they played when Dallas was playing really well, I mean, this is a 2020 game going in the final two drives of the fourth quarter. Mm. The Eagles didn't make the fourth and seven conversion. They lost the game 27-20. I think it's close. I think it's hard to beat teams twice in one season. I think when you go back over the game and you study the tape, you know, both teams have to play the same way. Both teams need to play 32 minutes of offense, 28 minutes of defense. Both teams need to convert third downs. Both teams need to be able to play from in front. I mean, this is a game where both these teams mirror one another. And I don't think home field really matters here. I really don't. I think people go down to Dallas, you can win. They've come into the link and won. I think I'm going to go with Wentz in this game and the Eagles. I like the Eagles in the points because I think they'll, they could keep this game close. I think it's a field goal game. And because it's four points, I like the Eagles in this. I think it's a lot closer game than four. I think the Eagles, this is it for the Eagles. This is not a t-shirt and hat game for this, the Eagles. This is a good buy game for the Eagles. They're in single elimination. They're in the NCAA tournament. All they need is Billy Packer down there to call the game because this is one and done if they don't get it. We need Gus Johnson. I don't know if I can handle Billy Packer in this one, uh, as always. He's always too much for me, Lombardi. Uh, Jason Garrett, I got my motive. You're a North Carolina guy. You, you grew up when when Billy Packer was on Raycom. You had to you had to watch him as a kid, right? Oh, yes. All the time. All the time. Uh, he always had some... I, I will never forget Billy Packer when North Carolina played Kansas in the 2008 Final Four. They were down 40-12, to 12, and Billy Packer said this game is over. And granted, Kansas did end up winning that game, but North Carolina came back and cut it to four, and, and uh, I was waiting for him to have to eat crow. It didn't Tate work Frazier, out. This man takes it very personally. You're taking this very personally. You see, you took that personally because he attacked you in North Carolina. I know. My favorite Billy Packer story, and I know Brant Packer, his son, very well. I, I used to do a radio show with Mark Packer. But Billy Packer was obsessed with the Nicole Brown Simpson killings that he actually hired a guy to try to find the glove. Like he actually tried to hire like a, uh, uh, like a seance reader to try to find the, the, the glove to see if it fit. He was like so into it. It was hilarious. But they oh, never man. did. The guy, ended up, the guy ended up being a fraud. The guy that Billy hired ended up being a fraud. But that, uh, but that was one of my favorite stories. <laughs> oh, that's unbelievable. I went, I went on a Bronco tour out here that they drive you around and they drive you around Brentwood. It's like an actual thing in Los Angeles that they do, Lombardi. So uh, we should tell Billy Packer about that. Maybe that would be a way we can mend our fences between uh, you know my, my hatred 
from 2008, but I've moved on. I've grown up, and you know, I'm not, I'm not lost in fandom like that. One, one thing, I do want to give the meditation from the clapper. He said, really the same message we preach every day, a hundred times a day, every way that we can. It's about being our best. It's about focusing on us and the task at hand. What does that mean, Lombardi? What do they do? What does he mean a hundred times a day? They just keep saying the same thing over and over again? Or is that maybe he, what he's saying is clapping? He's just clapping a hundred times a day. Maybe that's what it is. I guess he just loves it. I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, the clapper, look, this is a, this is not a t shirt and hat game. This is a game all about getting an extension. This is what this game's about. So, Cowboy fans, if he wins, you know, just, smile and say, and I'm not saying even if he loses, he won't get an extension. I'm just saying this locks in the extension. This is an extension game. Yep. And you, uh, you mentioned the playoff picture scenarios. We'll do that for week 14. I'll lay them all, all out right here. Rams, what they have on the line, they can clinch a first round bye with a win. Saints, as you mentioned before, they can clinch the NFC South with a win or a tie or a Carolina loss or tie. Uh, they can also clinch a playoff berth with a Minnesota loss plus a Philly loss or tie, uh, a Washington loss or tie. Um, and then you look at the AFC Chiefs can clinch a pay- playoff berth with a winner tie. Patriots, again, as you mentioned before, can clinch the AFC East title uh, with a win or tie. So those are all the things on the line. Um, It will be a fun week 14. Any more notes, Lombardi, before we move on and uh, get to the fantasy football guys? Well, no, you know, I mean, look, I think this will be a great week, and I think there's some certainly some great games. Obviously, I think the New England will will always struggles when they go down to Miami. Mm -hmm. You know, they they have a hard time playing down there. We're going to find out where the Broncos are. I mean, the Broncos are six and six. They play San Francisco. They get the seven and six. They can make some noise. And of course, we got to mention how great the Redskins are because I mean, how great the New York Giants are because we, you know, this week, you know, people, this one guy said I was too negative on the podcast, so I'm going to talk really positive about how great the Giants are and I think we should bury him on a hill with some pine cones and make sure that they're all comfortable and Eli's the greatest quarterback of all time so I just want to make sure that we're positively we feel that energy Tate Frazier yeah I will uh, I will soak all that energy up one game I want to point out that may be fun to watch for a lot did of did anybody watch Eli play last week like did anybody <laughs> watch the guy play seriously Seriously, I watched him 170 point, yards. The toughest 170 I mean, you ever see. Point, I mean, it's so comical. It's so comical. It cracks me up. It just does. I mean, they. I mean, look, you didn't say anything nice about the Giants. You just don't like the Giants because you're a Patriot fan. Yo, bro, your team's four and eight. What do you want me to say nice about them? They have nice uniforms. Oh, well, you know, it's like really seriously. We said nice up. things about Alec Ogletree, didn't we? We did. I mean, Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley. Great things about him. Great number two pick. But that offensive line still sucks. I mean, your defense. I mean, (laughs) look, you got a ten point lead. You give it up in the final. You know, but they're great. Let's leave them alone, Tate Frazier. Let's leave them alone. They are great. Ferris Bueller. We love you to death. Uh, Great character. Uh, Baltimore, Kansas City is a game I'm interested in. Lombardi. Uh, That's one more thing I wanted to point out. Get to see Lamar Jackson on the road going up against Pat Mahomes. Came out this week uh, that they were comparing uh, a defensive coordinator for the Ravens. Came out and said that Pat Mahomes reminds him of Joe Montana. Uh, and no, not the Chiefs, Joe Montana. And I just want to get your thoughts. See, after seeing Joe Montana and Bill Walsh, does Pat Mahomes remind you at all of Joe Montana? I mean, I love my man, Wink Martindale. He's got some great quotes, but I mean, Joe Montana, I mean, Joe Montana wishes he could throw the ball as far and as as hard as Patrick Mahomes can. Now, their athleticism, very similar. Joe Montana got a basketball offer to go to NC State coming out. Very athletic, but I don't see them in, in terms of arm strength that way. Great touch. I love Joe. Got a Super Bowl ring because of Joe. Uh, Mahomes is going to get some. I love my man, Wink. Wink's got his work cut out for him. He's going to like, he's going to have to, he's going to have to in this game, 
for me, this game is really all about how he rushes Mahomes, mm -hmm. his ability to create pressure and stay in front of Mahomes and not let Mahomes get out of the pocket and do the things he wants to do. Last week, I think what's amazing is they scored 40 points against the Raiders. Not that that's amazing because of the Raiders defense, but what's amazing to me is they scored 40 points and Tyreek Hill only had one catch for 13 yards. They find ways to get the ball. And the reason they do is because this kid can move around in the pocket and he can make plays. So I think that's another great game, Tate Frazier. All right, Lombardi, we will be back on Tuesday uh, on GM Street here and we will do all things Week 14, break down everything you saw this week. Stick around. We got the Fantasy Football Guys coming up, the Danacy Football Podcast. Until Tuesday, Week 14, Reactions with Lombardi. Thanks, Lombardi. Thanks, Tate Frazier. Hey everyone, my name is Danny Heifetz. I'm joined by my co-host and co-Danny, Danny Kelly. What is up, DK? What's going on, man? What's up, man? Uh, we are joined by full-time Craig and Jim, who finally is on mic with us for the first time in what feels like an eternity. How you doing, Jim? How have things been? Well, I'm here with you, so what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Good to have the man back. <laughs> All right. Obviously, it's the fantasy playoffs. We don't know your leagues quite like you guys, and you know ultimately whether you start, sit, or fail. Um, if you guys lose your matchups this week, it's on you, and if you win, it's because of the advice we gave. <laughs> but we're going to give some thoughts on players this week right on the start, sit bubble. You know, We don't know exactly, but we do have thoughts on certain players. So, DK, shall we dive in? Yeah, let's get right into it. Who is your first guy this week? I'm looking at Kenyon Drake of the Dolphins going up against the Patriots this week. Drake has been one of the more frustrating fantasy players in, in the league, really, this year. The Jeff Green of fantasy football, some would say. <laughs> yeah, he's he's all over the place. Uh, last two weeks, pretty... Uh, well, obviously, week 12, he had two touchdowns, so that was a big week for him. Last week, seven carries, 31 yards, two catches, 13 yards, and a touchdown. He's been salvaged by touchdowns. And so I'm a little bit worried going forward. Now, the Patriots give up the ninth most catches to running back, so it could be a, a good matchup for him. I could see the Dolphins getting behind and having to play catch-up, going to the pass a little bit more. I'm pretty torn on Drake. I'm in. Oh, Craig's in? Full-time Craig. Well, full-time Craig loves Kenyon Drake. I do love Kenyon Drake. Full-time Craig, secret Steelers fan, secretly a bigger Kenyon Drake fan. I think he's great. He's quietly the overall running back 17 in fantasy, Kenyon Drake. Did there you, you go. They let up a big game to Dalvin Cook last week. A lot of catches. He's getting better. He's much better in real life than he is. I don't know why he's still. They still give touches to Frank Gore. Frank Gore is not going away. So, Craig's in. Danny, where do you fall on this? No, yeah, I'm down with Kenny Drake this week. I'm no. Right. He's no longer. All right. Running back the, 17. You wouldn't guess that, right? Honestly, no. no I actually would not have. Next for me, because obviously I hate the Eagles and I hate Golden Tate, so I might as well hate <laughs> everyone else too. The yeah. Eagles are playing Dallas this week. I'm very out on Carson Wentz. I think there's a lot better quarterbacks you could throw in this week. Dallas defense looks fantastic. I would yeah, actually go do. so far as to say, like, they might be a top three defense in football. You could, after a few drinks, you could get me to admit that maybe they were the number one, <laughs> the best defense in football yeah. the last month. Uh, they held Breeze to 127 passing yards, and it wasn't that was one of those, an incredible, incredible game. It wasn't one of those yeah. games where Kamara and Ingram were just incredible, and that's why it was just because they were better and they actually crushed them. Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith are no like full stop the best linebacker combo in football. It's not even close right now. Um, Wentz had 306 yards and two touchdowns uh, and a pick against Washington. Washington defense is not Dallas's when they're healthy. Right. That's just not a healthy football team. And then Washington's offense was not putting them in good situations for the defense, so it didn't really matter. Last time Wentz played Dallas, he was 32 of 44 for 360 yards and two touchdowns. But I, this is a different team. I mean, it's weird to say after three years of like, without Sean Lee, Dallas was terrible. 
And now suddenly without yeah. Sean Lee, they're better. Because yeah. <laughs> Va- Leighton Van Der Esch is better. But this is defensive team now. I, I would not play Wentz or honestly any of the Eagles. That's the next thing we're going to talk to. So I don't just right. like Wentz. I hate Tate and Jeffrey, Alshon Jeffrey too, because why not? <laughs> you hate them. I guess the question is, are you going to start either Golden Tate or Alshon Jeffrey? Or if you had a choice between the two, which one do you do? I'm still leaning Golden Tate. It seems like, again, they're trying to make him a big part of that offense. In a PBR league especially, uh, he has an opportunity to kind of have that high floor. Last week he had seven targets, seven catches, 85 yards, and a touchdown, including a two, and then he added a two-point conversion. Alshon Jeffrey's kind of gone the other direction. He only had five uh, targets, three catches, 31 yards last week. So targets combined the last three weeks, Tate has 23, Jeffrey 13. And then Tate is actually doing a lot more with fewer snaps. Maybe I'm just a fanboy of Tate in general, but I just really like Golden Tate. It's obviously a very tough matchup this week against the against the the Cowboys. Sorry, but I just like Tate. And from a PPR point of view, I think I, I'm willing to play him. I'm in on him in a PPR league, and I'm I'm pretty much out on Jeffrey regardless. I, I, at this point, I'm just not confident in him. I agree. I, I We've been talking about this for a little bit, but I very much feel at this point that Jeffrey and Wentz just don't have a rhythm, don't have a connection on the field. You know, Maybe that'll change for the playoffs, but in terms of fantasy right now, I think it's really hard to trust a guy who is not fast, is not necessarily like a great rap. You know, he's about creating separation, like basketball style, like you know, right. you're in the post or whatever. Yeah, he's yeah. a box-out receiver, and when you don't have connection with your quarterback, that's really tough, so... Also, Tate, you can spin that both ways if he's running some of the fewest routes on the team among their all receivers, that you can spin that as good or bad. But considering he just got there and he's getting all those targets on the few amounts of routes he's running, I think that is a positive thing, considering he just joined, that he's looking that often toward him in those things. It's no longer kind of forcing the volume toward him like Amari Cooper in Dallas. It's not the same thing where they are forcing the ball with Tate. It's like, all right, they have managed to integrate him on the fly the last couple of weeks in a way that even a few weeks ago wasn't happening. So I'd rather him over Alshon. But at the same time, Tate hasn't been that consistent. So Fair enough. You're out on him. Moving forward, because this to me, this is one of the most interesting guys in fantasy this week. Jalen Samuels of the Steelers going up against the Raiders. Just in general, how are we feeling about him this week, you guys? Are you confident? First of all, I want to hear from Craig on this because he's the Steelers fan. I think that a lot of times with backup uh, running backs especially, we assume that the backup will just fill in the role of the starter and get the same yes. amount of, of work. But right. I, that doesn't Precisely. usually happen. And Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson is a perfect example of that. I think Jalen Samuels is going to get under 15 touches. And Stephen Ridley's probably going to get a lot more than you think. And like DK said before we uh, started recording, Roosevelt Knicks will, might get four carries. Yeah, this is, yeah. he's getting to like vulture. Trey Edmonds, they're signing. Yeah. His, the, his tight end eligibility is what makes him interesting. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, first of all, I think you're, Absolutely nail on the head right there, or hammer on the head, nail, nail on the head, hit the nail, nail. hit the nail. nail yeah, I just said head, nail yeah. on the head. I just shortened it. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, uh, I think you're exactly right about like Jalen Samuels and like he's not exactly that kind of player. And I think that still think that between the tackles running is going to be Ridley. And this is the Raiders, so like I think everyone's kind of getting a little like lost in the upside of like, well, if Connor filled in for Le'Veon Bell and then this guy's like this uber athlete is going to get all these passes automatically plugging his top fifteen, but. If they just jumped to a huge lead against the Raiders, who I've been playing better, but, you know, I think Ridley might just get the touches and the carries. So it's not a given that, like, this is going to be a game where they're passing and giving dump offs to Jalen Samuels. But to the tight end point you made, let's just play a game because if you picked him up at tight end and you're in Yahoo, sorry, in Yahoo, where he's eligible at tight end, this is like a no brainer play for most teams. But I wanted to run through exactly where you guys think the line is. I yeah. think we can probably agree that if you have Zach Ertz andor Travis Kelsey, there's no way you're benching them. Doesn't no. matter. But let's go keep down. Would you play Jalen Samuels or, and we're going to fill in the names, 
Would you play Jalen Samuels over George Kittle? No. I would, I would definitely stick with Kittle. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. Over Eric Ebron, who left practice with an illness today. Assuming he plays, absolutely not. He's fine. I think he got 16 targets last week, Ebron did. He's still a huge, huge part of that pass offense. I'm sticking with Ebron. I agree. All right, this work gets fun. In the playoffs, Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, would you play Jalen Samuels? Uh, <laughs> you hesitated. That's no, crazy. I don't think so. I think I would play Gronk over him. Yeah. I would too. There's such a good chance that Jalen Samuels could get like, but here's the, and now, I mean, we were just pessimistic. There's a serious chance he could get a touchdown and like eight catches and like 40 rushing yards, 40 receiving yards, yeah, and Gronk yeah. gets like nothing. I'm thinking about it. I got to be honest. So this is your line. This is where you start that's, thinking. Well, about that's where it. I start thinking about Jared Cook. Yeah. I'm. <sighs> <laughs> to me, it's the Cook line. Like after Cook, I'm starting Cook yeah. over him, but then after that is where I start thinking. You know about why? It. After Jared Cook, the three, the six Cook and the five guys above him all could have like three touchdowns or like 150 yards. You wouldn't blink about any of them. Right. After them, none of these guys. Jimmy Graham, Jalen Samuels for sure. Mm-hmm. Hooper. Well, absolutely. Full time Craig's. <laughs> My nemesis. All right. We're very in on Jalen Samuels, is the point. And that's the line. Jerry at tight end. Start him at, at tight, tight end. end. Yes. Yeah, just play yeah. him at tight end. Moving on real quick. Saints defense, shockingly competent. Not shockingly, but like competent last month. They're playing Tampa Bay. Extremely they competent. They were negative yeah. points when they met in week one for the Saints defense. But since then, obviously, well, one, Winston's playing now. Winston is a turnover machine. The def- I mean, he's prioritizing not turning the ball over a little more, but still, the, the Saints defense has been playing very well the last few weeks. The Bucs de- offense is increasingly getting a little bit worse. Uh, I, the Saints defense might actually be a good stream this week. Actually, the last shocking. three weeks, the Saints defense has put up 15, 15, and 13. Yeah. I actually was pretty shocked when I saw this. They've given up 12.8 points per game in the last four games. 20 sacks in that time, six interceptions, five fumble recoveries. Yep. And it's not like they've played no one. Those last three games are Dallas, Atlanta, Philadelphia. Yeah, precisely. So are you in on the Saints? This That's a potential streamer, right? Oh, yes, I'm in. Okay. All right, stargazing. We're just going to look at star offense gazing right now. Uh, the Chiefs are going against Baltimore, who have one of the better defenses in football, while the Rams are at Chicago. Mm-hmm. I think the big one here is Mahomes, who has probably led like almost everyone who has him this year to the playoffs. And now the yeah. question is whether you play him. Uh, and then Goff, who's also been lights out this year. So starting with the Chiefs, I mean, I think this is kind of simple. I mean, you're not benching Kelsey and you're not benching Hill. So Mahomes is the real question because you probably have an alternative option there. My answer is still no. Right. And it's simple in that the Chiefs don't really have another option where the whole season they've not really relied on the running game to like just win them the game. Mahomes has had three touchdown passes in every game this year except three. Week four in Denver and he had a rushing touchdown that game. And that was one of the worst games all year. Week five against Jacksonville, he also had a rushing touchdown that one. They had a 20 nothing lead at half. And then Arizona, who are the Cardinals, were terrible. They have okay defensive numbers for the Cardinals, but only because teams stopped playing them in the second half. Uh, every other game, they need Mahomes to win. There's no scenario here, even if they pull it out. Like Unless you think the Ravens shut them down, Mahomes will still have a, a solid game. So yeah, I understand if you have like Rivers or like someone else that you're like, oh, Breeze. what to do. But Breeze, Bree- Breeze or Rivers to me are Well, like- even Breeze, well, because Breeze against the Bucks, even that's one of those games where like Kamara or Ingram can do so well that Breeze doesn't need a pass yeah. in the second half. That won't yeah. happen for Mahomes. Game script doesn't take Mahomes out unless they jump up to 40 nothing victory or lead. In that case, he's still part of that. So I'm not afraid of Mahomes. No, I, I agree. I, I'm not sitting Mahomes this week. I mean, pretty much regardless of who else is yeah. available. I just think you stick with Mahomes. He's he's as matchup proof kind of as they come at quarterback. On the other hand, Jared Goff at Chicago. Uh, we talked about this. It's raining in Los Angeles today. Weird. Uh, the world is ending. Second day in a row of rain, I swear to God, everyone who lives here is, like, losing their minds. Jared Goff, from California. I think he's a wimp in the cold. I think California's—this <laughs> is my hottest take. Craig, you are from 
You're from the same area as Jared Goff? Uh, ish, yeah. He's from the North Bay. He's from Marin. I'm from the East Bay. And, you know, went to school. Cal. Cali boy. It's going to be 30 degrees in Chicago <laughs> well, on yeah, Sunday. 30 degrees in Chicago. I don't know if he's ready it's for it. Windy city. Here's my real take. A br- he's a brittle young man. There are some players... <laughs> <laughs> Look, brittle. there are some players who can't handle the cold. Like Leonard Fournette went to LSU. He's like... He was born in New Orleans, like, you know, and he's said on the record, like, he doesn't like playing the cold. But that's not good. But at least he understands he's underprepared. Then there are people from, like, North California who think they know what cold is because when it's 50 degrees out in January, they have to throw a jacket on. But they have no idea what cold is. And then you go to Chicago. I have no faith in Jared Goff uh, in the cold because I don't trust. I've learned after moving to Los Angeles that I don't trust Californians with weather and they have no idea what they're doing. His Instagram doesn't have a single photo in the snow. Not what? He doesn't. Nope. Checked every no, single one. Just, you, you, <laughs> Good fact check. California's yeah. two seasons. Jacket weather, no jacket weather. You show up to Chicago, your ass kicked. So Khalil Mack will wake him up. Oh, by the way, Chicago has probably the best defense in the NFL. Oh, yeah. That too. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel good to get hurt in the, in the cold. So. so we're out on golf as long as there's a reasonably better option. A reasonably good option. In all seriousness, yes. Yeah. I'm kidding, but like not really. Okay. Uh, I actually believe <laughs> Uh, all right, let's move on to the streamer starting lineup real quick. Yeah, uh, guys around good. 50% are under-owned, even after waivers, if you have to plug these guys in for some reason, I apologize. Um, real quick, DK, let's run through these. Uh, right. Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen are the ones who stand out. Which do you like better this week? I still trust Lamar Jackson a little bit more. Going up against the Chiefs offense, I think that's a good game script for them. Uh, Jackson has scored 16 straight or 16 points in three straight games in his three starts. Uh Averaging over 85 yards rushing. Again, his his upside is the rushing thing. Um, but the Chiefs have also given up the fifth most points per game to quarterbacks this year. So there's a chance that he could have some decent success passing the football as well. Um, I like Josh Allen simply because he number he's almost even better <laughs> as a rusher. Just But a lot of his rushing stats have come from scrambles. But, I mean, he's just been all over the place. Um, I just trust Jackson a little bit more this week. Yeah, I agree. If there's an argument for Lamar, it's the chief strength is pass rush, but that can kind of get screwed up when it's a very mobile quarterback like Lamar. Yeah. Uh, looking at running backs, there's Justin Jackson on the Chargers. They're going against the Bengals. And then Jeff Wilson Jr., JWJ, it's the 49ers with the mean green, uh, against Denver. Um, they're both right around the 50% mark. Yeah. If Jeff Wilson's available, I like him way better this week. Justin Jackson's very good for the Chargers, but it's simple. Braid is out. We don't know Justin Jackson's role like for right. a heart. Justin Jackson might be better, but like he might... Eckler might play more. We know Jeff Wilson's playing. I will take the guaranteed volume, even if the matchup's questionable, over like an uncertain situation, personally. Yeah. So I like Jeff Wilson if he's out there. I agree. Uh, Jeff Wilson actually uh, had nine targets in the passing game. So he carried exactly. the ball 15 times, plus got nine targets in the passing game. And that is game, critical so. because, I mean, we talk about this, but game Brady scripting. played in that game a little bit. Exactly. True, yeah. And it's like the 49ers obviously can always go down, or even if they take a lead, whatever. Jeff Wilson's not coming off the field based on what they need to do. Um, whether it's hold or lead, which probably won't happen, or coming back against the lead. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I like Mean Green. North Texas Mean Green, Jeff Wilson. There Jr. you go. There you go. All right, let's move on. Chris Godwin, the Buccaneers, going up against the Saints, and Dante Pettis against uh, going up against the Broncos, another 49er. Um, I cheated a little bit with Godwin. He's 59% owned in Yahoo, so you know he's a little bit up there in terms of ownership, but if he's still available in your leagues, I like him a lot. Looks like Deshaun Jackson's probably still going to be out this week. He was out of practice on Thursday. Um, Saints are giving up the most points per game to receivers this season. Godwin has, he's kind of emerged in that offense. Obviously, I think Jameis Winston trusts him a lot, which is the big key here. So I like Godwin a lot going this week. Pettis is a little bit riskier, I think, because 
it's looking like Marquise Goodwin may play this week. He came back to practice, I think, on Wednesday. Um, Garcon is still limited, so his status is up in the air. But Pettis's uh, role, if either of those guys are limited, could make him definitely a startable guy this week, especially since the Broncos just lost Chris Harris Jr. Yeah, Pettis is cool, but like if he gets if he does nothing, you'll be like, oh, why'd I do that? Where's yeah, Godwin? Exactly. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, totally. That's real tough for the playoffs, but Godwin I like a lot. Tight end, the barren wasteland that is tight end this year, and yep. apologies if you have to stream in the playoffs. Hopefully you got Jalen Samuels. If not, Uzoma on the Bengals. I saw this uh, stat from Nick Mencio on Twitter, actually. He's averaging 7.25 targets per week over the last four games, which is actually fifth most among tight ends. Wow. Last week he had seven targets, five catches, 33 yards. Week before that, 12 targets, six catches, 39 yards. Obviously, he's he's much better of a PPR play than a than a standard league play. I mean, his yardage total is not good. 33 yards, 39. And the Bengals are just going to have a tough time moving the ball with Jeffy Driscoll on the Chargers. Right. So if you're in a PPR league, I think he's definitely a stronger play, stronger stream, which, I mean, obviously there's not many strong plays in at the tight end position in general, but just because of the targets. The Chargers play a ton of nickel. So whereas, I mean, I don't think, unless Derwin James is out there against CJ Uzoma, uh, he might have like a size advantage that could come in handy for good old Jeffy Driscoll. There you go. Last one, back to the defense. I think the Bills are an interesting stream this this week. Going up against the Jets, who have been a disaster offensively lately. Sam Darnold is back coming off of a, a foot injury, I believe. he's He's been out for a few weeks. And he's just been a turnover machine going back, I guess, like three games or whatever. So and Going back to his college career, but... Well, Sorry, yeah, keep going. really. Um, but it's I mean, like he had player. been playing pretty well, like midseason, but then he just kind of fell off the map, just started turning the ball over like crazy. The Bills defense is really solid. I think they're number three in DVOA this season. Um, I just think it's not a good situation for Darnold this week. Last time the Jets and the Bills played, the Bills fan uh, defense scored 11 points. They let up there you go. 11 fantasy points. They let up 10 real life points. Now that Jameis has come down a tad, Darnold's the best bet for pick six in football, including Josh Allen, which is real something. Buffalo, it's 34 degrees and snowing right now. Keep that in mind as well. Darnold's a Cali guy. Oh, wow. Well, you know <laughs> I how guess I feel. On Sunday, Sunday the, the forecast is 33 degrees, not sunny, not snowing. So To Darnold's Instagram be, we go. But at least Darnold's been living in New York the last month or two. You know what I mean? Like, Goff has <laughs> no idea. Um, but yeah, still, you know how I feel about that then. Well, speaking of weather, uh, I have to go back out and bear the conditions, DK, because yeah. the audacity of God to have it rain in Los Angeles, you know. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, let's call it a week. DK. Yeah. Worst of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. In your playoffs. And to everyone playing in the playoffs this week. To those about to die. Oh, no, I'm doing that. Oh, Craig's shaking his head. All right. You know what? Good luck, everyone. We'll talk <laughs> to you guys next week. <laughs> Great luck. Farewell. See you, DK. See you. <laughs>